This is the Boxing Betting Show with Tom Craze. Welcome to the very first episode of the Boxing Betting Show. My name is Tom Craze and I'll be your host twice a month. As the name probably suggests, this podcast is all about betting and betting on boxing in particular. It's something I've wanted to do for a while actually um, and over the years quite a few people have asked either did I have a podcast or if I didn't would I think about maybe setting one up. So why now? I think it's born out of firstly a love for the, the topic, a love for the sport, but also in many ways a couple of frustrations. I often see too many people approaching their bets, whether they win or lose, in a way that sometimes feels all wrong. In turn, and if I can achieve anything with this podcast, it would be that over time I might perhaps get some people thinking more or maybe even differently about their betting and how they go about finding an edge. Secondly, For me, too often the betting-relating boxing content out there is either something close to an infomercial or it's written by people who don't understand the industry or it's pitched at a level that encourages the type of bets that long-term are only going to benefit the bookmakers themselves. Often it will be a combination of all three. Through a series of regular guests from inside the betting industry itself, the aim is to weave in enough betting theory and advice and practical application to be worthwhile. And for those who find that a bit like me trying to teach them how to suck eggs, hopefully a mix of interviews with those from within the boxing world will throw up some interesting debate too. We'll also try and pick some winners along the way. For this first episode, I had absolutely reams and reams of ideas for features, and you'll still hear the ones that made the cut in the weeks to come. However, what you're about to hear was first intended just as a short segment to round off the show. It's a conversation I had with my fellow Boxing Monthly contributor, John Angus MacDonald, in what was meant to be a quick 10-minute look ahead at the weekend's action. What actually happened was that it turned into a much longer discussion, and one I felt worth sharing in something close to its full form, in as much as I thought it captured the tone, the spirit, and obviously the subject matter of what I hope to produce in the weeks and months ahead. So with that original plan well and truly out of the window, let's get started. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to The Boxing Betting Show. John, welcome to the show. How are you, mate? Hi, Tom. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for um, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, you've been on the scene as, as a writer, I guess, predominantly for a good number of years now, Boxing Monthly, Boxing Scene, and, and a few others as well, I believe. Um, and that's partly why I wanted to get you on. But judging by your Twitter feed, I think it's safe to say that you like a, a good bet too. It, it, would that be uh, reasonable? <laughs> that is very reasonable. I'd probably right. gamble on two spiders going up a wall if you can get them organised enough. Uh, right. So tell us then about your experience on the, on I guess, on the betting side. Presumably it was a case of boxing first, then into the betting on the boxing, or how, how did that kind of come about? Uh, very much so. You know, always been a boxing fan and then a boxing writer, always been a bit of a gambler. And then the two just sort of merged quite nicely. Like every gambler, I have some weekends that are better than others and some unmitigated disasters. So. Right. And what I do like about your bets, at least the ones that you post on Twitter, is the attention that you give to the more obscure bills that not everyone will be spending time on. Um, sometimes mainland Europe, Scandinavia, Germany, you know. Talk us through your, your kind of betting process and how do you approach each weekend schedule Um and what would you say your starting points are in terms of research and then actually kind of going on to settle on a bet? So usually I will have a look at BoxRec, check the schedule 
and go and watch fights from fighters that I'm not overly familiar with. This process tends to start with the Sunday or the Monday when odds aren't out for these smaller fights yet, or sometimes it's just fighters that I haven't watched recently. Just as a quick refresh to try and see what each fighter looks like and then I'll keep an eye on usually Bet365 as they tend to have the odds on boxing out first particularly with things like Method of Victory. Having watched enough fights I'll decide what sort of point that an underdog is considered good value if I think the one fighter has got a 70% chance and it's priced as as close to a 50-50 as you get then I, I'm not going to go there for the most part backing underdogs, but if the price is too wide, like uh, Karim Sokolowski against uh, Alex Dickinson at two to one, you know yeah, that's yeah. Th- that's sort of price that is definitely worth having a small bet on. Method of victory tends to be my preferred market, as sometimes it can be a little bit off from what I perceive the likely outcome to be, like. O'Hara Davis on uh, points against Miguel Vasquez being a recent example. And yeah, I saw that. That was uh, that was a fortunate one, wasn't it? It really was. In, you in know, the end, yeah. yeah. It, it, that was a fortunate uh, wee spell for me because I'd backed Kieran Conway against Ted Cheeseman after eight or nine rounds in play at 14 to 1. And wow, okay. I, I backed the draw, sorry, at 14 to 1. The draw came in, but I felt that Cheeseman had taken that fight by a couple of rounds. So there, there was a spell that weekend where things were going in my favour, which doesn't happen often. You know, they were two decisions that I really shouldn't have been collecting on. But, you know, take them when you get them. Take them when they come, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess from, certainly from my understanding of your tweets before now, and then I think what I like about your approach is that there is this focus on value and there's very much an indication of, hang on, these are the... These are the prices I expect to see on a fighter. And then it's looking for that discrepancy as and when they get posted. Would that be fair to say that's your your kind of approach? That's very much the backbone of my betting strategy. I will have a price in mind that I expect to see it at. If I find something that is a massive discrepancy one way or the other, that will influence my decision to bet. If I was expecting a lot more value in an outcome, then I will probably avoid it if the price is too short. If I see something that's too wide, even if I don't believe it's the most likely outcome, it's definitely worth backing to a point because the value is there. And and at what point then do you put your your kind of tissue pricing together then is it is it when you're checking out the box schedule is it in even more in advance than that or is it when you're the, watching the tape the, the bigger fights i have ideas about going in of what i'm expecting it to come out as when the prices go live with the smaller ones it takes a little bit more studying and then trying to work out what people are likely to know about certain fighters and because ultimately with these slightly more unusual ones from central europe eastern europe that's where i can find some real value because the perception that the favorite is the the house fighter is the favorite and there for a reason but there's been some really unusual movements in prices with certain fighters particularly with the top ranked cards are being problematic to bet on at the minute because they don't tend to list their fights on box rec. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
which means you're not getting prices until late. They're limiting the stakes that you can bet on. It's just it's quite problematic with top rank cards at the minute. Now I did see something. Um, I think it was from uh, Gray, um, who who obviously works at Bookwork. Then he said that issue was sorted. Um, but then I saw I saw I think I saw a number of tweets actually earlier today saying it's kind of happening again, and it, it's this kind of um, Chinese wall almost to say, hang on, <laughs> what, what's behind the? And then we're waiting around until you know Thursday or Friday afternoon, which um, sometimes works well, but it often isn't ideal for for kind of any um, sustained research, let's say. Yeah, um, we saw madness with the heading Yito line about six weeks, eight weeks ago. That yes. that it was just fluctuating back and forth with some really strange variations. And the Matchroom Next Gen show had some ludicrous opening prices. Uh, Kieran Conway opened at 10 to 1. There was just some very strange prices that weekend. Yeah, it was. It, and it was one of those, and I was, I, I was watching it unfold. And although sometimes, particularly with these smaller fights, it doesn't take a huge weight of money to no, move a no. price. The reaction, as, well, certainly as I saw it from the kind of window um, of my Twitter feed was that, hang on guys, this is this is well out and kind of imagine everyone running off to Bet365 getting their money on and then going back to Twitter and kind of moaning a bit that oh, the price has vanished. So <laughs> it, was, it was one of those, but it's um, absolutely. And, and what I liked actually recently from you was, um, I forget who he, who he was fighting, it was Stefan Hartel. Um, and he went up at 11 to two or five to one. Um, yeah. And I actually saw your tweet on that first, and that was the one that alerted me to it. And I saw that. And I thought, is that is that a typo? Is that right? And I thought that that can never be, never be right. And he he who was he fighting again, John? Robin Krasniki. Krasniki, yeah, yeah. Um, and he went over there, and he, he kind of did a decent job on him. I, I think I scored it eight eight rounds to four or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, clear winner, and it was one of those you thought, hang on. Krasniki is hanging up to a, a kind of scrap of name value, I guess. <laughs> Um, from uh, what, cleverly or, or, or kind yeah. of way back um so yeah i, I guess I, I say thank you for that one for flagging it um when, when you did so let's um let's move on to this weekend um it's a really busy one actually which is kind of in stark contrast to last saturday when again a few certainly a few of us were kind of trying to find streams or um <laughs> any coverage from uh formella um, Mbenge on, on yeah in Germany yeah um, and that that was a horrible uh, decision by all accounts I haven't managed to catch it myself but from people I respect a lot they say that Mbenge won that fight fairly convincingly yeah he he did I, I felt that he did um, there were a few certainly borderline low blows um, but the ref was very very keen to certainly penalise him for them and then obviously the point deduction made it very very difficult for him um, yeah. Heading from Germany then over to uh, Italy, we have the next of the Matchroom Italy cards. Um, this one's for Rome. Um, it sort of feels like there's been a few cancellations of late, actually. Um, poor old Tommy McCarthy was due to headline this. Um, his opponent, uh, Fabio Turkey, pulled out earlier this week for the kind of reasons reasons yet unknown. Um, and I think he actually might be one of the best Italian fighters that have been showcased. Um, Anyway, poor old Tommy finds himself, he's still on the card in an eight-rounder. Eight rounder, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that leaves us with Marcus Morrison um, against uh, Blandemura as the kind of nominal main event. Um, Blandemura, one to 
three favourite two to five um, kind of best price. Morrison two to one, uh, eleven to four ish. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? I think that there's massive value in Blandamura. Marcus Morrison is a fighter who has received a push that I don't know how it's justified. I know he's out of Joe Gallagher's gym. You know, Joe's done a tremendous job with the British fighters at British European fringe world level. But, you know, Marcus has lost to Alistair Warren, Tyen Booth. Jason Wellborn, he went life and death with Simone Lucas on the undercard of Crawley Perez 1, I think it was. He's just, he is a limited fighter and I will be interested to see the price that we'll get for Blandamura by stoppage. Although he's not a famed puncher, Morrison is vulnerable and I really would not be surprised if he is stopped there. Okay, okay. So moving on to Friday night, um, and it's an intriguing rematch actually between Rob Brandt and Ryoto Murata from Osaka in Japan. One of my favourite fighters to watch actually, um, Ken Shiro is on the undercard. Yeah. Um, no odds available, so we'll, we'll have to skip past that one. Uh, um, zero odds have come up in the last hour. Oh, well there you go, okay. He he is 1-33 to 33 on, and uh, Taconing is 10-1 to one underdog. Right. Okay. So I think, as we say, we'll, we'll skip past that. Um, but he's a fantastic fighter to watch, actually. And for those who haven't seen um, Ken Shearer, he he's got the face of a probably a twelve-year-old. He's like 20, twenty-seven or something. Um, but he's a he's a great, great body puncher. Um, really, really exciting fighter to watch. Um, and kind of destined for bigger fights than he's in at the moment. This is a, a tick over, really. Um, Rob Brandt, uh, Murata, we'll forget about the fact it's for the WBA regular. Um, Brandt really took Murata to school um, when they fought in Vegas last October. Um, he close to, oh, I think, one round off a shutout on a couple of the cards. Um, and that was a pretty decent upset. Murata was the, uh, let's say, kind of loosely the champion. Um, closed between one to five and one to six on that night. Um Bramp seven to two underdog um, up to something like fifteen to two, um, and he didn't give him a, a sniff. It was it was pretty comprehensive. Yeah, that's all changed obviously for the rematch. Um, Brandt is the is the favourite as you'd probably expect, but perhaps surprisingly a little bit short. He, he's one to three, uh, four to eleven. Uh, Murata nine to four, five to two. Now Brandt is on the road. Um, obviously it's in, it's in Japan, which isn't renowned or kind of it isn't known for potentially dodgy decisions in the same way that other countries are no, um, not at all. for me that's that's getting a little bit wide um it doesn't feel like must bet on Murata at five to two but personally I, I don't think I'd be rushing into into backing um Rob Brandt on the road at, at one to three how, how do you see it I can put Rob Brandt into an accumulator at one to three, given how comprehensive his victory was last time. I expect it to be a far more competitive fight this time around. It will be closer, but Japan in recent years has been one of the best places for the away fighter to get a fair shake on the cards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm not overly concerned. Again, it's not something I'm going to steam into as a single. And if Rob Brandt's price gets shortened significantly, then Murata will definitely fall into the value category. And At what, what point then do you? What's the the trigger point for Murata? I think if Murata goes to 
four to one or past that. I, th- I think there's definite value and there's value in the draw as well. But the draw might be in play if we're fortunate enough to get a market, which I would be surprised on. So I might place a small cover bet on the draw. Mm. It certainly feels like one that's that's kind of headed to the scorecards either way. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I, I think you're right. I certainly think it'll be closer than last time. Um, I can see certainly eight eight rounds to four either way, seven five, something like that. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, also on Friday night, uh, it's a bit of a it's a strange one. We we head over to Saudi Arabia, um, Amir Khan uh, versus late replacement Billy Dib. We've got. Huey Fury, Samuel Peter, um, and of course Prince Patel further down, um, fighting for the uh, IBO world title. <laughs> um, John, I've got a lot to say about this card, and none of it is particularly complimentary, to be honest. So, do you have any anything that's a bit more productive? Let's say nothing complimentary from start to finish, but I think that there's places of value. Round, group round betting on Khan rounds one to three at fifteen to eight seems as if it's worth a small bet. You know, Billy Dibb was on the slide in his first fight against Gradovich at Featherweight back in 2013. Things have not improved. He's not a welterweight fighter. Khan could be, is capable of ending this anytime he likes. The question is, does he want to drag it on as a showcase over there or does he want to finish it in devastating fashion? So it was not something I would bet heavily on but there's, I would say there's definitely some value there in rounds one to three. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly see the argument. Um, Billy Dib was, I believe, retired um, before he yep. got the, the call. So what, what weight is this even at? Is it a welterweight? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's been made at 147. You know, Billy Dib is a career featherweight who was on the decline six years ago. You so know, he's, he's straight in at his, his walk around weight then? And yeah, he's he's had one sure. fight earlier on this year, but you know, again, he's essentially a retired fighter. Huey Fury, Sam Peter, um, John, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Again, it's a it's a strange kind of matchup. It's not one that you'd ever really expect to have seen in, in 2019. <laughs> Do you have any have any any views on that? <laughs> no, like, the the Nigerian nightmare shouldn't be in a ring right now, but unfortunately, he is, and Huey Fury. <laughs> is capable of stopping fighters of a lower level, as we've seen in his last couple of fights, well, apart from uh, the Pulev fight against uh, Sam Sexton and Chris Norad, he can get the stoppage. Peter is fairly durable. I think the decision at 12-5 to has got a bit of value to it. Again, I wouldn't be surprised if Fury puts punches together enough to force the referee to step in so yeah. it's something that i think there's value in for small betting it's not something i'd be steaming into though he's certainly sitting down a bit more on his punches since that Pulev defeat he's kind of obviously very limited opposition um in, in norad last time but he's a bit more spiteful than he was and, and potentially a, a bit of a change direction after the um those kind of parker and, and Pulev defeats yeah yeah, he's certainly more aggressive and is sitting down his punches, like you say. And Peter has been stopped. I just i am not convinced Fury is going to have the power to force a stoppage here, but he may be able to just overwhelm him, outwork him and force a stoppage in that regard. But I think that there's still some meat left on the bone at 12-5. to 5. Okay. Further down the card, again, another kind of 
um, curiosity, let's say Prince Patel um, against uh, Banquez for the IBO bantamweight title. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a shop window really for Patel after his kind of leisure center uh, tour of destruction that um, <laughs> resurfaced. I think it was it was Sonny Edwards who kind of highlighted that on um, Twitter earlier the, this week. Is this going to be any more of a test for Patel or is, is it easy work? Banquez is not a good fighter by any stretch of the imagination. He The only footage available on him is fighting Miguel Gonzalez over 11 rounds, just a scheduled 11-rounder. Okay. His technique is terrible, but he comes forward. He's wide open to counters. If someone actually had legitimate power, I'd be worried. But Prince Patel disposing of people who've got no right to be in a boxing ring throughout Hungary and Egypt doesn't really fill me full of con- uh, confidence. We've right. seen him struggle before in the UK and he's prone to getting cocky. He could get caught here. Like Patel should be the favourite, but I would not be surprised if there's an upset there. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Moving on then to a bit more of the, the kind of the proper stuff. Saturday night at the O2, Daniel Dubois, Nathan Gorman, um, Joe Joyce, Bryant Jennings, in what is really a very strong card, um, I think, from yeah, Frank Warren yeah. and Queensbury. That said, it, and this is it kind of might sound strange to say, given how strong a one-two those cards are on paper, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the two fights in the ring aren't quite the um, the dynamite we're, we're hoping they could be. I think there's, there's an argument that both, um, certainly Gorman and Jennings as the, as the B-sides do have a tendency to um, be a bit awkward to make the, the other guy think. Um, and I think the key to how well these fights kind of ignite on, on Saturday is, is down to how much they're willing to engage. I think both have the tendency to, or certainly the capability to um, make things very um, drawn out, um, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. We'll start with, I guess, the co-main event, Joe Joyce, Bryant Jennings. Um, it's two guys on the on the fringes, really, of, of the top 10. Joyce kind of going in, in one direction much quicker than, than Jennings is. Joyce, at best here, one, two, three three shot um a short of one to five in places he actually opened for this um obviously early in the year at four to nine um a price that was quickly hoovered up as you probably expect that didn't last very long at all sort of settled one to five two to nine and, and a few kind of brave souls are, are going one to three um jennings out at seven to two what are your thoughts on this one as you said, Jennings is capable of making this a difficult night's work for Joyce. Joyce is what he is. He's going to come forward. He's going to try and overwhelm opponents. He's just going to try and throw as many punches as possible, not particularly quickly. If they land, they'll hurt. But Jennings is cute. He's a clever boxer. I can see Joyce grinding him down, but I certainly think it's in the second half of the fight. I wouldn't be surprised by Joyce in rounds 10 to 12 at 13 to 2, to be perfectly honest. I think we probably see this, this the same way, actually, John. The the Joyce-Stavern fight was actually quite an expensive one for me. I I, I thought Joyce would get rid of Stavern very, very quickly. As um, did I. <laughs> um, it, and it was one, um, I'll hold my hands up, I took it on the spreads um, and I, I, I sold the round. So anything kind of beyond three, four rounds started to get very expensive. So it was a, a bit of a painful one that. Um, nonetheless, he, he did get rid of him. Joyce, I'm kind of regular followers of my Twitter will know I'm, I'm a very big um, admirer of Joe Joyce. I think he's he's kind of brutally effective. He's not always he very... Is. 
he's not good to watch all the time. Um, he's certainly not pretty, um, but he's kind of like a like an army tank. You know, he's he's, <laughs> he's going to come forward, um, and he's going to he's going to hurt you if you can't get out of the way. And getting out of the way of a tank is is quite difficult to do. Um, his footwork is again it's fairly kind of rudimentary but it, it does the job um and it gets him into these positions that obviously work to his style um nonetheless with with bryant jennings he this is a guy who is slippery enough he certainly has been shown he's slippery enough to maneuver joyce into um situations that certainly the like sister verm weren't capable of doing yeah and yeah i i kind of i kind of agree i think it's it might look a bit counterintuitive given that all of Joyce's stoppages bar one, um, which was his debut, have gone very early, um, certainly inside inside round six. Yes. Um, Joyce, round seven to 12, nine to four, I think that's a, I think that's a, a chunky price. I think there's enough to be interested. Um, as I do with the over 8.5 rounds, even money, I think that's a, that's a decent price. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you make of Joyce, the outright stoppage four to seven, a little bit short for you? It is a little bit short. You know, it's one of these fights that it could go to a decision. I don't think it's the most likely outcome. But one of these days, the juggernaut is going to run into a brick wall or it's just someone he can't pin down to land those big clubbing balls on. He'll still win the fight. You know, He's going to be a real danger right up until the very elite level. And then we'll find out just how effective his style is going to be against the top boys. But he's going to find someone slippery on the way up who is just going to survive and see out the duration i don't think jennings is that man per se but he's certainly going to take it into later rounds it's that style of fighter i don't yeah, know say yeah. whether it's actually jennings i don't know but he's in that in that kind of mold um joyce decision nine to two i think that's uh, certainly worse bets than that around this weekend looking at the other side jennings 14 to one for the for the k i think we can we can probably rule that one out uh, <laughs> yeah. he's not gonna i can't well, he, he might do but i certainly can't see him getting rid of um, joyce inside the distance anytime soon 11 to 2 for the decision again it's it's not one that i'll be um putting any money on myself but for those who do want to side with jennings i think that's probably the way to go and it's uh it's a, a reasonable price yeah but again he's going to be the man on the back foot even if he's picking nice single shot counters and making joyce miss the odds of that style being rewarded are slim as we've seen with Galahad Warrington. When you've got someone coming forward trying to force a fight against someone who appears reluctant to do so, the judges are going to side with uh, the person trying to force the fight nine times out of ten in this country. Moving on then to the main event, um, Daniel Dubois and Nathan Gorman. I think it's a very, very good fight. Um, Big, big move on Gorman though. Dubois opened at 1-4, 1-2-5, for the benefits of the UK, for the American audience, actually, it's minus 400. Um, back in March, when this fight was kind of first rumoured or, or, or on the brink of being announced, um, it's been a steady charge actually on Gorman since then. Um, Dubois drifted from one to four right out to eight to 15. Gorman then has gone from 11 to four back to right into six to four, uh, plus 150. What do you think, make of that? Why do you think that might be? Fat boys are fashionable. It's the Andy Ruiz factor. It's the person who isn't body beautiful with fast hands, who has got a better inside game, fighting against the man that if you were to have to fight Joshua, you'd be calling in for your sparring partner. You know, so people are probably drawing parallels between the two fights. 
and hoping that his versatility, his hand speed, his footwork, his variation in output will be enough to just bamboozle Dubois. Well, you know what? I, I'm glad you said that because actually I've got it written down here in my in my kind of scribbles. Um, optics, Joshua Reese, sculpted, muscular favourite um, with a nearly perfect KO record. Actually, like Joshua, um, Dubois has stopped all but one of the opponents he's beaten. So there's a, that kind of parallel there. Against a guy who's not chiselled, um, Gorman has the faster hands, as did Ruiz, the better footwork, as did Ruiz, um, considered by many to be the better natural boxer, as was Ruiz. Um, Obviously, in terms of the scale of the upset, the prices that we're looking at, it's it's a, a huge gulf between yeah. Dubois Gorman and, and Joshua Ruiz, as it is in terms of the profile of fight. But there are these kind of strange parallels, and and maybe it's because we're we've been a little bit starved in the UK this year of these kind of big fights for us to look forward to, um, either involving a British fighter or on British um, kind of soil. So I think the the memory of Joshua Ruiz is, is kind of still fairly fresh in a lot of people's minds. Um, and it's only, you know, only, only a month later anyway. It's, I, I think that's certainly a factor. Um, for me, I think the, I think actually the Dubois price has moved a bit more than I would, I would like if I was, um, if I was laying it. Um, I think yeah. one to four felt about right for me. I wasn't rushing to back Dubois at one to four. Eight to 15 is, is getting to a point where, hang on, I'm thinking, this is solid enough for an outright. Dubois is, look, I don't think he's he's a natural boxer that um, that Gorman is, but he's he's still a very very well schooled fighter and very very um, good at amateur pedigree. Uh, certainly got the power advantage. It's it, I think it's one of those that if if he's not there already, Dubois at eight to fifteen or or even um, you know even one point five up is is backable for me um yeah, yeah. and i'm i haven't pulled the trigger on it myself but i think if you're if you're looking at this fight and wondering if dubois is hang on is, is he the favorite is he the right kind of favorite for me that price is, is slightly out of whack with what i'd expect to see in that um yeah method of victory um i know you, you as you say you're a fan of, of kind of delving into that market we've got dubois um odds against um for the stoppage 11 to 10 um He's four to one for the decision. Uh, Gorman five to one for the KO, and seven to two uh, or thereabouts for the decision. Any any kind of preferences there, or, or are you sticking to the outrights? I'm probably going to stick to outrights here because there's just too many unknown factors when you're dealing with two largely untested heavyweights. Nathan Gorman has never had to contend with someone's mix of Dubois' athleticism and power. It might be somewhat robotic, it might be predictable. Gorman may well be the natural boxer, but if he can't get past Dubois' left hand, the right hand's going to land eventually. And can he take that shot? We just don't know. But conversely, Dubois has never faced anyone who's coming with what Gorman brings to the table. He's coming with ambition. He genuinely believes he can win this. He's got superior footwork. He's got faster hands. If he can get inside the jab and force uh, Dubois to fight on the inside, we've never really seen legitimate infighting from him. We've seen him have that firefight exchange with uh, Larty where he was caught the, the but, kind of cr- crazy Ghanaian that came out last yeah. time. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with a ginger goatee, you know. What's not to like? 
Right, right. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Gorman perhaps has some more variety. Um, I, to be to be perfectly honest, last time out, I wasn't sold on either of them, and Gorman, I haven't particularly been sold on a, a few of his last performances. I think yeah. he really laboured against um, Kevin Johnson. That was an, an opportunity to make a statement. Okay, so we're, we're, we're kind of agreed on that then, I think. Dubois, yeah, absolutely. The, the value in the main event. Um, those are probably famous last words, given that we started that segment with Joshua Ruiz comparison. Um, but we're, we're, we seem to be settling on the fact that lightning won't strike twice. John, I'm going to put you on the spot. We'll wrap it up there. Um, but if you had to pick then one bet for the weekend um, that you will pin your pin your hopes on, what will it be? The one bet for the weekend will probably be Dubois outright. I, I think that's the safest bet for the weekend. Uh, I think I'm probably with you, although I'm leaning towards Joyce in seven to twelve at nine to four. I think that's that's a lot bigger than it should be. <laughs> um, John, thank you for coming on the show. Really great to talk to you. Thank you very much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank you, mate. Bye bye. Cheers.